Uh, this morning we're continuing the new teaching series that Julie kicked off last week entitled Yesterday, Today, and Forever, where we are considering together what it looks like to imitate the active faith of some of the figures of the Old Testament in order to participate together in the unfolding of God's kingdom. And this series is rooted in the New Testament book of Hebrews, which, as Julie noted last time, is a letter that, that really more accurately reads like and takes the form of a sermon written by an unknown author or pastor in order to encourage a community of Jewish Christians to remain faithful to Jesus in the midst of persecution. And more specifically, uh, our series is honing in on Hebrews chapter 11, which catalogs a history of the people of God who exemplify the kind of faith that the pastor author wants his hearers to emulate. And this morning, we are going to be looking together at the first person who is named in this well-known chapter that has come to be known through the years as the Hall of Faith. If you'd like to join me in the scriptures, you can turn or tap your way to Hebrews chapter 11, uh, which is going to be our text for this morning. We'll be starting today at verse 1. As always, you'll be able to follow along with the text on the screen it's behind me here in the auditorium as well as, as in the courtyard if you would like to do that. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, and it says this. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. So we see there in those first two verses the definition of faith. That faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. And the faith that is referred to in Hebrews 11, just like we see throughout the New Testament, is active. It's an active faith. Faith in the scriptures is not merely theoretical belief or intellectual assent. Faith is a way of life. And the Greek word that's used here by the author pastor reinforces that. It carries the idea of reliance. And so the action of faith is about reliance. Faith is about relying on something that is believed to be reliable. And so given that, we might paraphrase verse 1 like this, that faith is living as if the things that are hoped for are real and with assurance that what we do not see is real. Faith is living as if the things that are hoped for are real and with assurance that what we do not see is real. And so faith is very much about living in the present with a certainty about the future of God's, a future reality of God's kingdom and a certainty about God's existence and providence and faithfulness and power. And it's this kind of active faith that verse 2 says that the ancients who are listed in the rest of this chapter were commended for. And then from there in Hebrews 11, we have this long list of people who have exemplified and modeled this faith, this active faith in various ways. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So our pastor author begins there in the beginning, right, taking us all the way back to the first chapter of Genesis and creation. And then in verse 4, the list, of faithful, the list of the faithful begins. By faith, Abel brought a God a better offering than Cain did. 
By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. And so we see there that the first name in this storied chapter, right, the first name in this hall of faith is Abel, which I don't know about you, but to me seems like an interesting start because Abel is not a particularly major figure in the scriptures. And yet, here in Hebrews 11, as our author pastor is encouraging his hearers to live by faith, he's the first example, right? Because by faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. Now, the question I think that very naturally flows out of that verse is, why? Why was Abel's offering better than Cain's? And the logical place to explore that question is Genesis 4, which tells the story of Cain and Abel. So let's look together at Genesis chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. It says, Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. So Genesis 4 here definitely provides much more information for us about the offerings that Cain and Abel brought to the Lord than Hebrews chapter 11 does, which just says that Abel's offering was better. Cain, as we heard, brought some of the fruits of the soil because he worked the land, and Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Now, some interpreters have delved into the details that are given about these offerings and suggested that Abel's offering was better because it was a blood offering from an animal. But it's interesting, when we dig into the text a little bit, the Hebrew word that's used to describe both of these offerings here in this passage, minha, doesn't really support that kind of distinction. The minha is discussed in Leviticus 2, where the NIV translates it actually as a grain offering. And it's an offering that is typically given in the context of a celebration as a gift in order to honor God. And while the minha traditionally accompanies oftentimes an animal sacrifice, it usually is a grain. And so given what we know about the minha, Cain's offering of some of the fruits of the soil certainly seems, I think, to be appropriate. Not to mention the fact that there's no mention of blood here in Genesis chapter 4 relative to Abel's offering. The text only mentions fat portions. So Abel's offering doesn't seem to be better in that respect. Another difference between the offerings that has attracted the attention of interpreters wrestling with why God looked favorably on Abel's offering is that Cain, according to verse 3, brought some of the fruits of his soil, while Abel's offering came from some of the firstborn of his flock. And so it's been suggested that perhaps Abel's offering was better because it was from his first fruits. Now, while the law did command that the first fruits be set aside for the Lord, there are also examples in Scripture 
uh, like in Nehemiah chapter 10, where the fruits that were not from the first fruits were legitimately given as offerings. It's also worth mentioning that according to the law, the first fruits were usually given to the priests, which in this context has no significance because there were no priests in the time of Genesis chapter 4. And so there's no real reason here again for Abel's offering being better based on the mention that it was from the first fruits of his flock. And what we get in verse 4 of Genesis 4 really only confirms that. Like Hebrews 11, it simply says that the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. And so the text doesn't directly tell us why that was the case. And all of that is actually surprisingly on brand for Hebrew narratives. Hebrew narratives are characteristically scenic, which means that they typically do more showing than they do telling. Hebrew narratives typically like to show us things more than they like to tell us things directly. And because of that, they're much more indirect in the way that they communicate things. And so a question for us to consider then is this, given all of that. What might this text here in Genesis be showing us about the nature of of, of Abel's offering? What might this text be showing us about the nature of Abel's offering? And when we consider Genesis 4 through that lens, I think the first two verses are particularly interesting. Let's look at those again. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1 begins this way. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept the flocks, and Cain worked the soil. Now, as we sit with those verses, I think that they show us a couple of interesting things about these two brothers. And we see the first of those in how each of their births are addressed. The first thing that this text shows us is seen in the difference in the way that the brothers' birth is addressed. Eve gives birth to Cain, and there's this exclamation of praise. She gives birth to Cain, and she is excited because she's been able to experience the blessing of childbirth in the aftermath of being sent out from God's presence in the Garden of Eden. And so Cain is born, and Eve exclaims, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Right? There's something celebratory and triumphant about what has happened. Abel's birth is described very differently. There's no no exclamation from Eve when Abel is born. Instead, Genesis chapter 4, verse 2 simply says, later she gave birth to his brother Abel. And so comparatively, Abel's birth feels a little bit more to us like a footnote. And that difference is only amplified by the meaning of the names that these two sons are given. Names in the ancient world were significant because they communicated a quality or a characteristic that was discerned in a person. The name Cain means productive, fruitful, and successful, which communicates expectation and, and portends status and favor. 
The name Abel, in contrast, means vapor or breath, right? which carries the connotation more so of being invisible and temporal and fleeting. Right? Or as one commentator put it, worthless. And yet, as Hebrews 11.4 says, by faith, Abel was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And so there was something about Abel and his gift that God saw. Right? Some kind of je ne sais quoi. Right? Some sort of certain I don't know what about this gift that Abel gave. And one thing that I think is important to recognize here is that this is definitely tied in with the giving that Abel did. This is not a retrospective on Abel being killed by his brother Cain, right? God received that gift, and it was when he received that gift, he credited Abel as righteous, not after his death. So there was something about this gift that Abel gave. And with that whole contrast, right, that this text is showing us here in these first two verses between the two brothers, I can't help but be reminded of the story of David being chosen by God to succeed Saul as the king of Israel in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Saul was described as a head taller above the rest when he was chosen as king. But when it came to choosing his successor from among Jesse's sons, 1 Samuel chapter 16 verse 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Right? The Lord looks at the heart. And so I would offer for us to consider this morning that what the text here in Genesis chapter 4 is showing us is that it's not about the external nature of the offering. Whether it's a blood offering or an animal offering, or a grain offering, or an offering from the first fruits. It's about Abel's heart. Right? Giving by faith. Right? Giving by faith in the way that the author, pastor of Hebrews, wants to lift up for us as an example here is about the heart. And the very same thing is true for us. Right? Giving is not ultimately about the amount of money. It's not ultimately about the amount of time. It's not about any sort of external extravagance or grandiosity. Instead, it's all about our heart. And when we give from our heart, right, that, that heart connection moves us into faith spaces. Right? When we give in a way that's connected with our heart. That heart connection with our giving moves us into faith spaces. It pushes us towards reliance. It pushes us into areas where we need to exercise faith. When we give with our hearts, we give by faith. And we all saw a really great example of that and a really tremendously precious precious example of that just a few minutes ago, right? Those kids from the Honduras team made a heart connection with Yesenia and her story. Their hearts were stirred. And as a result, they were moved to make 
whatever offering they could make. They were not thinking about dollar amounts. They were not thinking about a $10,000 need and whether or not they could do that. Their hearts were moved for them to do whatever they could, right, and to pour out their creativity and their time and their gifts into making everything from brownies to ice cream to bracelets to potholders. And they're doing all of that by faith, giving their gift to God from their heart and relying on him to do the rest. They're giving their gift from their heart to God and relying on him to do the rest in this really beautiful way. And we should all be inspired by that, I think. We should all be inspired by that. You know, I'm reminded of the way that Jesus loved kids and ordered the disciples to allow the kids to come to him. This is precisely why, right? We've talked a lot about the Genesis text showing us something this morning. I'd like to submit that our kids have also shown us what it looks like today to give by faith. They have become our teachers today. And so who or what does God have on your heart? this morning as we consider what it looks like and what it means for us to give by faith. How might your heart inform your giving? What does it look like for you to give by faith, to give in a way where you're exercising reliance on God? You know, after Yesenia shared her story that night, Someone from our team approached me and shared that while we were praying for Yesenia as a community, that God was prompting them to give. And the number that they were given during that time was Um, $5,000. The kids had no idea about that. No one knew anything about that actually until yesterday. But they had no idea about that that next night when they began hatching their plan. But God was already going before them because that's what he does. That's what God does when we give by faith and when we give from the heart. And so may we open our hearts and may we allow God's spirit to move us to give by faith. Would you pray with me? Father, we're so grateful this morning for your presence with us and for the really beautiful example that you have shown us from our own community of exactly what's happening here in this text in Hebrews and Genesis. We thank you, God, for the gift of our highway kids and for the way that they have exercised giving by faith and and shown us what that looks like in this really beautiful and tangible way. And we're grateful, God, too, for the reminder because we know that we so many times get hung up by external things. We get hung up by by amounts and, and the realm of possibility. And in so many ways, that blocks us and inhibits us from relying on you in the way that you want us to. Father, I pray that your spirit would be tilling the soil in each one of our hearts moving us, God, to be people who 
live with that reliance on you, that active reliance on you that is really at the core of what faith means in the scriptures. And Father, I pray that this would be powerfully applied to us as we consider what it means to be generous givers in every aspect of our lives. But more than just the giving of things, God, I ask that like Abel, your spirit would be deepening and enriching that heart connection that we have. Father, that as we recognize that you have sent us into so many unique places. You've sent us into our neighborhoods. You've sent us into the schools that we attend. You've sent us into our neighborhoods. You've sent us among the least of these in our community. God, would you open our hearts for the ways that you would have us rely on you and give by faith in ways that perhaps we we don't even imagine. And would this story this morning with our kids remind us, God, of how you can move and and expand giving beyond what we might ever imagine ourselves. Thank you, Father, for your abundance. May we have faith in that as we walk together as a community and seek to give generously in Jesus' name. Amen.